This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Not Aaron Judge. No, no, no. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome, the 99th installment. Can you believe it? 99 episodes. So cool. Thank you so much for joining me as I take you into conversations I have with other lead singers. And today, we have a great episode. I speak to Matt from Trivium what a band, what a career, what a nerd. Um, <laughs> this guy's awesome. I had so much fun talking to him. And this episode goes very, very in-depth into, you know, a little bit more of the science behind, I think, singing and screaming and the regiment that Matt does to keep his voice in tip-top shape, keep his body in tip-top shape is really, really interesting. So stick around. Number 99 is coming up in just a minute. Oh man, the great one. That's what this episode is. This episode is the great one. Before we get into that, I want to thank all my sinners in the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club for being awesome. We got some new members from last week. Obviously, we had a great episode last week with Kellen Quinn of Sleeping With Sirens. If you missed that one, definitely go back. Of course, if you want to get in touch with me, it's super, super easy Syndrome at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. Just, I don't know, search it. It'll probably pop up. Please add us. If you like the show, write a review on iTunes. That's super sick. And if you like the show, please tell a friend. Tell your brother, tell your sister, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your aunt, tell your uncle. Let's get more people listening to this show because next week, episode one. Hundred with a very, very special guest. I won't spill the beans on it. I know some of you know. I don't care that some of you know. It's going to be a big surprise for a lot of people. I'm very, very excited. And episode 101 
the Halloween episode is also going to be super, super cool. So make sure you're subscribed. Hit that subscribe button right now. I do not want you missing these awesome upcoming episodes. In news with me, my band Silverstein, we just announced a big tour today. We're doing a co-headliner with uh, another um, Lead Singer Syndrome alumni. That is tonight alive. Jenna and the boys are hitting the road with us throughout the whole U.S. It starts, I believe, January 19th. We're pretty much playing everywhere, so make sure you go get tickets. The tour is called the Get Free Tour, so... That's where you go, thegetfreetour.com. We also have another great band called Broadside opening for us and another band who are super, super sick. You should definitely check them out. They're called Picturesque. So yeah, get your tickets now. We've got regular GA. we got the VIP packages, all that good stuff. So head over to thegetfreetour.com. And Silverstein, we have a brand new video for our song Lost Positives filmed on location in Tokyo, Japan. Definitely worth a watch. So head over to the Rise Records YouTube channel. I think it's youtube.com slash Rise Records and you can check it out. Probably my favorite song on the new Silverstein record, Lost Positives. All right, enough about that, enough about me. Let's get in to my conversation, a very interesting conversation with Matt Hafey. Of Hello. Hey, Matt. How's it going, man? Hey, good. How are you, Shane? Dude, I'm I'm great, man. I'm uh I'm in Germany actually right now. So oh, wow. uh so we're dealing with like like kind of a cool time difference. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So it's three, four, five, six, eight o'clock there? Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. Okay. Nine o'clock, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. good. It's you guys good. over there you guys over there doing shows? Yeah, we're doing uh we're doing a tour. Um it's it's called For the Fans and that involves us doing fourteen dates just in Germany. Wow. Right, it's a lot. Damn, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's it's kind of fun because it's like the kind of tour where you drive like like you play a show and then you drive like forty five minutes and you play another show. You have a day yeah, off awesome. and then you drive like an hour and you play another show. Yeah, it's 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 like I saw our driver like absolutely hammered last night, <laughs> and he's allowed always, to be. Always comforting. He's allowed yes. to be. <laughs> he only as long to drive. As, yeah, as long as he's he's not driving. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. But it's it's always a, a funny thing, you know. Um, I guess you're you're just home in Florida, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Orlando right now, and I, I was stoked to hear about this podcast. I've been a fan of your band for a long time. Man, so oh, that's was, crazy. Yeah, when yeah. you mentioned that to me, I was like, "Oh, that rules." Oh yeah, that's awesome, man. No, it's great to have you. And um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because. We're, you know, we're, our bands are roughly the same age. I know you guys started around like 99. We started in 2000. We're about the same age too. And, and I don't think our paths have ever crossed. Like, I don't think no, we've done... they haven't. Definitely no tours. And I don't think any festivals or anything, which is like kind of crazy this many years later. Yeah, that is crazy. It's, it's very rare. Very rare. But I'm, I'm sure it's, it's bound to happen one of these days, right? Some festival somewhere. Well, maybe we got to make it happen. 
Let's do it. Let's but, do it. <laughs> no, it's it's it is it's just wild, you know, and like um, you know, doing some research on your band and, and I I've always I've always not only liked your band but respected you guys a lot. Thanks, man. Um for a few reasons I'll, I'm sure I'll get in, get into them over the next, you know, 45 minutes. Um but but I'm always fascinated when I speak to people around my age that are Metallica fans. Um if it like like how they how much Metallica was a factor on them getting into playing music. Absolutely, yeah, it's like massive. massive. <laughs> for me, it's like for me, it's like number one. Like if it for me, if it wasn't for Metallica, there literally wouldn't be. I would never have picked up a guitar. I wouldn't have cared. Yeah, that's how important the band was to me. And I know you're a huge Metallica fan, and we're around the same age. So, is that the early life of Matt Hafey that you know? was inspiring for you like learning growing up playing music or was it a myriad of things um my dad had always had guitars around he never pushed guitar on me or anything but i always see him pick up and play he pick up a guitar he, he never was in a band but he played a lot as a kid um i picked up guitar around 11 years old 11 slash 12 because it was like the cool thing to do i was like oh maybe people will notice me i was the only style of music at the time i'd ever heard was stuff that's on the radio and yeah. I was also starting to get into pop punk and ska. So pop punk and ska were like my first, my first favorite genres of music. And I tried out for a cool. pop punk band. I tried out for a pop punk band called Freshly Squeezed. Yeah. That is so Florida, by the way. It is absolutely. <laughs> my tryout song was "Damn It" by Blink One Eighty Two, and I thought I nailed it. I never got the callback, and I was like super bummed out. So I, at that point, I gave up on music. And then someone lent me this all black <laughs> album called Metallica's Metallica. And I listened to that for the first time. I'd never heard metal before. When I heard the music, I was like, I think this is the kind of music I'm meant to play in life. So I would put in as much time as I could until I was able to play that music. And then I ended up getting pretty decent at guitar, practicing all the time. Um, I did my eighth grade talent. I first did seventh grade talent show, like right after the Freshy Squeeze thing or around the time of that. Yeah. I did self self esteem by the offspring. It was just me and a drummer. And then in eighth grade, when I got kind of decent, I did No Leaf Clover by Metallica. It was just me and the drummer. And then the original singer of this high school band called Trivium asked me to try out for them. The trial right. song was For Whom the Bell Tolls. I, I walked into this. I was in eighth grade. And everyone else were all like juniors and seniors in high school. And they were all kind of like laughing, like, what's this 12-year-old going to do? 12 or 13. And I came in. And I nailed the song. Um, they brought me in as a lead guitar player. The original singer left after two months. And then I was promoted to singer. And the rest is history. That's funny. It's it's cool too that like you know you never really had like any other bands. Like there was Freshly Squeezed, which you didn't get the gig. Um, and yep. who knows? Maybe if you did get the gig with Freshly Squeezed, they'd still be together today. But Trivium <laughs> is still together today with the same name. You know, I think you're just about to put out like your eighth album or something like that, yep. which is like completely. You know, it's crazy to think. You know, you didn't even have a name change. Obviously, some people have come and gone. But, yeah, a uh, lot of people, a lot of people. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's that's kind of a cool thing. Do you ever think about about that, how unique that is? Yeah, and, and the Freshly Squeeze guys are still going around, too. Like, they eventually became this band called Rory out of Central Florida. Oh, I remember now, that band. Yeah, and now they're called Teenagers. Oh, yeah, so really? Yeah, yeah. So Jordan Schroyer, who's like the main guy in Teenagers... He was the dude that, that was in Freshly Squeeze. It was him and a guy named Mark Ispass. I don't think Mark's in Teenagers, but Jordan is. Oh, um, so yeah, those, those guys are still still jamming and torn here and there, which is cool. What a small world, right? Like I yeah, remember really, Rory, really we played is, shows. Yeah. It's just so funny. Like, how, aren't there so many kids, like millions of kids all over America picking up guitars, starting bands? How do I know them all? It's awesome, man. I love it. I, I love that. 
it's, that, it's amazing. That's crazy. No, and going back to Metallica and people that listen to this podcast um, will know my there is a little bit of an obsession with Metallica that I have. Um, and the you know the thing about it is like I'm the same as you. You know, I, I was 11 or 12 and I picked up a guitar and all I wanted to play was the Black Album. And um, some of those songs are pretty hard. Yep. <laughs> for a kid of that age to to just play like especially some of those solos like to to play them note for note is not easy. Props props to Kirk Hammett. Um <laughs> you know, but I mean I, that, that's a I think that that's a great place for a kid to start learning guitar. I think when people got a little bit older and they're playing like well, you're a little younger than me I guess, but like with my age group when when like Nirvana and and then and then like Green Day and The Offspring got popular. Those songs were a lot easier to play, and I think like everything got a little more dumbed down musically. You know what I mean with 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 younger bands. But you seem like new new metal came around, yeah, yeah, especially yeah. You're right, and then and then, but you you kind of stuck the course and worked on your craft, and now you're like a very very good guitar player. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's um when. I didn't make it in into the pop punk band and I was trying to figure out why. And then when I heard metal and, and said, basically I was like, I want to duplicate these sounds. And the only way that I was able to is by default, by putting in the time where I wasn't really aware of that. I wasn't really aware of the fact that I was practicing and rehearsing and, and treating this thing like, like a sport. And, and I really haven't had that click up until you know four and a half years ago. And I know, and I know that sounds really weird because I've always played guitar in trivium and I've always sang and screamed in trivium and, kind of just fiddled around and like just figured out how to be good at things and not really realizing it was drilling and not really realizing that that was specific stuff. I was like specific training that I was putting into it. Right. But about four and a half years ago, I got into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and to have to learn something from the ground up for really what felt like the first time in my life, that's what showed me what true practice ethic is. And I started reapplying that to guitar and vocals again. Wow. So, well, yeah, when I got into jiu-jitsu, I became, I started making my day. Like, when I'm home, Monday through Friday is like clockwork of a schedule. Like, 9.30 is, there's like, it's a, it's a whole hour of my first vocal warm-ups from 9.30 to 10.30. And I do like 30 minutes of my vocal teacher's head voice exercises. That's Ron Anderson. While I'm playing guitar, doing these, uh, sorry, while I'm doing these vocal warm-ups, I'm also doing guitar warm-ups from John Petrucci of Dream Theater's guitar warm-ups. And at the same okay. time, I'm watching same time I'm watching competition jiu-jitsu videos. So I'm doing these three things at the same time to kind of wake my body and mind up. Uh, the next 30 minutes is like 30, uh, 20 minutes of trivium songs and head voice while I'm like foam rolling and stretching. And then the last 10 minutes is like full voice singing. So then my voice is basically warmed up for the next point of whenever I'm going to sing again. Um, and then like whether that's like usually around three to four or four to five, I'll do another hour and a half or an hour or so of full voice vocal singing and screaming and then a cool down and then that finally ends the vocal process of the day. But I started doing that after like I blew my voice out on our sixth record right. on tour yeah. and I had to like relearn how to sing again and I thought I'd never scream again but thankfully I found like a safe way to start screaming again so that's why I've applied all this stuff. But that crazy weird schedule no. stuff was yeah, partially from my dad. My dad is a Marine. And my mom's Japanese, so it's like two very regimented, disciplined, intense cultures. Definitely. And the jiu-jitsu thing. Yeah, so definitely. all that kind of spiraled into the, the days I live now. Yeah, that's crazy. That is definitely, discipline is the word. That's like, dude, I I, I could not be more opposite than you. 
<laughs> I wish I didn't have to do all that. And like, I drive my wife crazy. That I'm just freaking singing all day long. But I was like, this is what it takes for me to be decent. And yeah. I just, some guys don't have to like Bruce Dickinson. I heard never took a vocal lesson in his life. He doesn't warm up for shows. Rob Halford, um, Ronnie James Dio never took formal training or warmed up. And those guys were incredible. Yeah. But if I go up unwarmed up, it doesn't work. So I just have to put this much time in. I figure if I can put in two to four hours a day, every single day, that when I go on tour, 60 to 120 minutes is easy. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and like I walked into this tour and I had a bit of a cold <laughs> and, oh, you know, man. we're, we're headlining and we're played, we played, I don't know, 75, 80 minutes. And, uh, oh, it was pretty tough, pretty tough. And the yeah, next day yeah, I was like, hard. like could barely talk. Um, oh. not to mention the jet lag. I know you know how it is, but, um, oh, yeah. but so you say this is like, is this the way you've always treated your voice or this is just kind of because you had this blowout back in like 2014? This is because the blowout, like before I would rehearse a little bit. I like, I kind of was trying just like I did with guitar kind of firing in the dark till I figured something else that something out that worked. Yeah. Like I've always, I always used to be still am like confident my rhythm guitar playing above everything else. And when I was pushed to become the singer of the band. I was pushed to become the singer of the band because we couldn't find another singer. Yeah. Once our original singer left, we tried to tried a couple people out, looked around, and it was Travis who, at the time, he was like bigger than me and older than me, and I was intimidated by him. <laughs> and then, like a year later, I like I like outgrew him in height, and I was that kind of went away. But uh, <laughs> I just listened to him. He's like, you know, you're going to become the singer, and I was terrible, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I was just mimicking sounds and. Tribune at first was like a three-piece, like traditional thrash band, sound like Old Testament, Old Metallica, and then I started getting into melodic death metal bands like In Flames and At the Gates and Dark Tranquility, yeah, and then into death metal and black metal, and it, I just kept trying to go more and more extreme with metal, and I started wanting to figure out what else I could do with my voice because the singing wasn't really there, so I started screaming, and initially the screaming kind of came up pretty quickly. It started developing and became really, it was, I felt like it was already really strong oh, good. by our first or second record, Ember to Inferno or Senesi. I felt like the screaming was nailed, Yeah, but the singing was always something that I had a hard time developing to become strong. And it sort of got to where it was getting okay. But when I go on tour, the singing range would always dissipate. We'd have to start tuning our stuff lower and we never right. really figured out why. Yeah. And then when I blew it out on vengeance falls and had to like cancel the rest of the tour and fly home and everything, um, the first guy that texted me was Matt from Avenged Sevenfold. He said, hey, I'm sorry to hear about your voice. How can I help you? And he put me in touch with his singing teacher, Ron. And we yeah. figured out that I've been screaming incorrectly for 15 years and singing <laughs> mostly incorrectly sure. for like 15 years. So I decided at that point, I was like, I'm never going to scream again. And I started training my voice to relearn how to sing, got that. And then miraculously, this screaming training that Ron had been putting me through as well started kicking in. And then now I could do both things effortlessly. And as long as I keep the training up, I feel like I'll be all right. That's a really cool story. So, so, and, and Matt is, Matt is a great dude. And you talk about a singing guy, like you want like, I really need to have him on the show because you know, he's like, he'll, if he can't hit his like top note, he's like canceling the show. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. is, he is like really, really intense about that stuff. Um, so, so talk, tell me about this blowout a little bit. Like, was this something that just all of a sudden something didn't feel right in the middle of a show and you were done? Or was this like wear and tear over a tour that was like doing, doing damage? Um, 
like what was the story there? And I'm sorry to make you relive this, but but I'm really oh, no, interested. It's all good. It's all good. Um, I think it's one of those things where I'd had minor issues in the past, and like even talking about it now, it's reminding me of other tours where I'd have like it would be rough, and I'd have to get like a cortisone shot, which is always like it's not a cure, it's a mask. So I've done that a couple times, or when we started having to tune everything down like half a step and I started giving all the high notes to Paulo, our bass player and me singing like lower thirds or lower fifths of the main parts. I started thinking that was normal. Um, and then on that tour, I was, we were also supporting Volbeat and then doing festival dates as well. So the Volbeat dates I'd come up and do, they had this song called Evelyn where originally the singer of Napalm death did all the screaming vocals on it. So I was doing that song with them live. I was doing that and the Trivium set and I was, training a lot of jujitsu and also doing um, a lot of like press and talking a lot. And I remember we did a show really late one night and then had a super early set. So it was really rough schedules where you never really had 24 yeah. hours in between and it was rock on the range. So it was like the biggest festival, um, biggest festival to run. And that morning I woke up, I was like, all right, it's not feeling good. I'm not going to talk. I'm going to warm up really easily, go up and do the show. And I felt it from the first note. I was like, my voice, I only have this show. So I gave that one show everything I had. I told everyone, I'm like, it's done. It's it's done. It's not going to be cured. Because I'd gone to some vocal doctors wow. tour. We're like, oh, maybe it's reflux. Maybe it's this. So I, I started, I, I still keep this part up, which I think is good for singers. Like anytime I eat, I make sure I'm at least at a 45 degree angle or, or upright for three hours and never laying flat be- before that, just in case there is any acid. Um but once huh. I saw my doctor and realized there was no severe, like it was borderline career ender, but I wasn't quite there. Jesus. And it took that kind of, yeah, it took that kind of like investigative research to figure it out. And we're like, the screaming is wrong. Like the way you know, my old screaming that's across all our records and I actually do on our eighth record as well is so incorrect. And it's just me trying to, I mean, it's like me ripping my vocal cords apart, like screaming the loudest, weirdest sound that I can. Right. But the way that Ron has taught me, and I can finally describe it. I could never teach it to anybody, I don't think. But <laughs> it rechambers that vibration of when your vocal cords are really loose, they make the screaming sound when they're like bashing together. But he's made it a way where that sound is actually happening in your nasal cavity. So there's no damage to your vocal cords. So it's then switched the distortion mechanism above okay. into your nasal ca- nasal chamber. That's the way Matt does his screaming as well. As well. And it's, it took me like two or three years of training with Ron before it even sort of making a sound. And even the last tour, I didn't really get it great until like the last two weeks of the tour. And now I feel like I have it down. Wow. Wow. This is also crazy. I definitely scream <laughs> wrong. I definitely scream wrong. Uh. Yeah, I mean, the wrong way sounds freaking awesome. But the difference <laughs> is, it's like when we do what you and I do, it's like we have to do that every night. Or we yeah. have to do that three to five shows in a row for an entire run. And that's what is difficult. But for the record, I'm all for giving it whatever it takes. And that's why... When I said I would never do it again, and our producer was for record eight, Josh Wilbur, who produced our record, he's like, please, he's like, I've been a Trivium fan forever. I want to hear your, your old school scream because I love it. Wow. And once we finished all the clean singing, I was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it because it's what it takes. Because the safe screaming sounds good for live when it's like a loud-ass venue and it's a PA and there's effects and people are just getting into it. You can't, can't tell the difference. But then when it's for the record, you can tell. And so for the record, we went full on the old school way and amazingly, I think all the training I've been doing really made it where it didn't hurt. I mean, it was only like two days of recovery and I was back to, back right. to being fine. 
but I, I could tell when I did that for the studio, that is not the way to do a live show. It's, it's, there's, a, there's record streaming and singing and then there's live singing and screaming. It's it's, about I, I agree with you too, though. I totally agree with yeah. you. And I think that also when you're like, when you talk about, okay, I got to screen this whole entire verse before I get a little of a break and I get to use the singing mechanism of my voice. Right. Mm-hmm. When you do it in the studio, like I don't even, there's times when I don't even sing the whole verse. I'll just like scream the whole verse. I'll just scream like the line. Mm-hmm. And then I'll take and then punch in the next line. You know what I yeah, mean? And that exactly, way I can give exactly. all my breath and all my, you know, on on one line. A lot of people don't don't like a lot of kids and stuff don't realize that's that's how a lot of this stuff happens. That's the magic. Yep. You know, is uh is is doing it over and over again line by line and and you know, I I punch in words even when I'm screaming. So I think that that helps with the with the vocal health. Absolutely. And that's the way that it like has to be done on the record to make it sound great. But then when it comes down to live, yeah, it's like, it's about sustainability. And if, if it's not something that you can do every single day, then it's, it's not going to work. So that's what I was doing. I was basically doing studio performance live yeah. every single day. And that's something I feel like most bands do by default anyway. I think so. And yeah, and some guys, and some guys can survive off of that. Some can't, um, some guys just naturally sing correctly. And for me, I'm not the kind of guy who sings correctly, obviously, because it didn't happen correctly for 15 or 16 years. And that's why I had to retrain myself. And that's why when I'm at home, it's such an intensive daily thing to just drill more of the good habit back in to, yeah. to get rid of 15 years of incorrect. Right. But, you know, like bands like us, you know, when, when we have, you know, we have two different types of of things, right? We have singing and we have screaming. Mm-hmm. When we started, you know, you started in 99 and I, we started in 2000, there hadn't been a lot of bands that had done that over like a long career, like mm-hmm. that way. Sure, there's like sure. someone like Slayer, you know, and there's been like some heavy bands that are just like yelling and they've been yelling for a long time and they're able to, you know, they haven't, their voice hasn't broken. Yeah. But but I remember reading an interview with um, with Chester from Lincoln Park a long time ago. I think when they were on like their second album, and he's like, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do this. Like you know, mm-hmm. maybe I just won't be able to do this one day because like yeah, you know, he's giving it all of his you know his voice. And I really think like when you I, I'm sure when you started the band, you didn't know you'd be doing this in 2017, mm-hmm. right? You know, you, you never expect yeah. that to happen because there weren't like hardcore punk metal bands like doing this kind of sound that had been doing it that long. Absolutely. Yeah, that's totally true. And that's why I, that's, you know, a lot of bands, they started doing it where they'd split it as well. Like where, the, like, of course, God, yeah. just, God, it just screams, God, it just sings. And I've, I've come across a lot of other bands sort of in our genre and like kind of ride the line on the outside and in between of our genres and stuff. And these guys, like some of them just go album, you know, like, like I said, like album delivery every show. So maybe the first two or three shows of the run, they're on fire and then it just starts to deteriorate. And that's, that's the hard part, like figuring out how to perform for live. Like that's something that I just, I didn't know about up until four or yeah, three and a half, four years ago before, until before I started training with yeah. Ron. Um, but every, every singing teacher isn't right for every singer. And that's the really, difficult part because I'm a, I'm a guy that really likes things to make sense and to have a formula and a schedule and a reason. And I've been doing, let me think like the last big chunk of time I was home, I was experimenting with 
length of warm up versus the time in between the singing. Because a lot of people just warm up and go straight into a show, which is something that our bass player does. Our guitar player, Corey, he does backup streaming live. He doesn't warm up at all. Paulo's warm up is like 10 minutes and he goes and does the show and he's ready. I was trying everything from like five to 60 minutes of warm up with anything from like no time in between to one, two, three, four, eight, ten hours in between before I'd sing again. Right. It's just to see what works. And it seems like on tour, what Ron recommends, what also Miles from Alter Bridge and Matt Revenge do, they do their warm up three hours before show time. And they kind of chill and they do it in a couple minutes before the show and they do the show. At home, I seem to be between like five and eight hours in between it, and it seems to be as good as the three. I know this sounds insane right now. No, this is like really keeping. intense. But see, <laughs> you know, this is the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast, and like sometimes I do a whole episode, we don't even talk about singing. So, yeah. you know, so this stuff is like, this is fascinating. Like, I like the, just the idea of, of this, I've never even thought, I've never even considered the amount of time between when you warm up to when you actually perform. I've never considered this at all. So <laughs> this is super unique. That's awesome, man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it seemed insane. And like when people would ask me, because they you know sometimes people that don't know too much about music or heavy music, they think you just go up there and yell, and it just happens. And for some guys, it did. I remember hearing like Howard Jones didn't have to warm up much, and I think he's got one of the best scream sings yeah. that I've ever heard. I mean, like on End of Heartache, and, sure. I, and I remember seeing him on that Ozfest where he would just crush it like that, and not really have to put too much time into it, but. I've tried that and that was the majority of my career and it just doesn't work that way for me. It, it has to be this really regimented, intense, formulaic way of going into it and then it works. Which what, is, what happens if you have like an early festival slot? You know, like you're I wake play- up even earlier. Like if, let's say, because we have had to do some of those Wimmer festivals where we're on at like 1230. Yeah. So I'll make sure that I'm up 30 minutes before 930 so that way I can get up, eat, get a little bit ready and then do that three hour warm up for an hour and then scale the day that way. Damn. <laughs> you are an intense, intense man. And, and that's <laughs> great for you. I mean, I mean, I mean, I may, you know, I mean, you had your wake up call, I guess, and you needed to do that. And here you yeah. are like, you know, um, still doing it. And, and I know you got a big tour coming up as well. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, when you when you guys are, are doing like booking a headline tour like you have coming up in October, um, do you do you take a lot of days off? Um, uh, what's, what no, do you like no, to do don't. as a singer? I mean, because we're still at the you know we're, we're the size of band where we you know any days off is eating away at like finances. So of course we I, I tell booking agents and managers please the maximum in a row nowadays I prefer is five. I still don't like doing five, but I'm like, I'm, if I have to do five, I'll do five. So it's anywhere from three to five in a row, then a day off three to five in a row, then a day off every once in a while. If, if it's insane booking, you're like, listen, Matt, are you cool with this six in a row? Are you cool with this five or these two fives in a row? And right. they'll always want to buy me. And that's why I train so much off tour because like, um, again, I, I want to credit that the jujitsu, thanks to the jujitsu, like the idea of that. Cause I'd never played sports as a kid. Um, I did like karate as a really little kid, but to do something like jujitsu and I've competed and I've realized the competition is not for me with what I do career wise, but I'm glad I did it 
<laughs> you do all this training five to seven days a week, one to two, three hours a day of all this stuff for this one sport, just for a five minute competition. Right. You know, five minute competition where the competition that I did, I got beat 12 points to nothing and I got rear naked choked out and my face was purple and I almost passed out in front of all my friends and everything. And all this training, all these years I put into it just was a defeat. But that's a good thing is it shows you that that's what the training is for. And that's what, that's what a lot of musicians have kind of lost the plot on is that we put all the practice and the time in our instruments and our vocals. So that way when we go on tour, you don't have to think. And I remember I've had another right. singer tell me when I told them the same thing I just told you about my regiment, my schedule, they're like, well, that's not really rock and roll. And I was like, well, <laughs> actually, I said, well, actually me, when I walk up on stage, I don't have to worry. Am I going to hit this note? Am I going to last through this? Is this stream part going to work? Do I know the words to this? I don't have to think of it anything. It's just muscle memory at that point. And I feel like that's more rock and roll than going up there worrying. Oh man, I got to hit this high note. I didn't hit this last week. Can I hit this tonight? And I don't have to worry about these things because I've, I've drilled it so much that it becomes muscle memory. Well, I think the rock and roll thing is that a lot of bands just don't care. <laughs> that's yeah, I, that's I the real story. They aren't even I worried totally if they're going to hit the note. They're, they're not going to hit the note, first of all. And then yeah. when they aren't going to hit the note, they aren't going to care. And they're going to be more worried about like if there's going to be any beers left in the dressing room when they get back there. <laughs> exactly. And that's, I mean, when I was like 18, 19, we were kind of like a party band for like a year or two. And then as soon as we started playing bigger shows and we were reminded of the fact that we we want to be, you know, a band that can make a dent on music. We're like, well, you can't live like that. You can't. It's not sustainable. I mean, maybe there's like an exception to the rule every once in a while, like the Rolling Stones. But I mean, that's the freaking Rolling Stones. They've written some of the greatest songs ever. So yeah, it's like, if you really want it, you have to put in the work for it. And that's something we, we know, we know really well what it is to work. And like for the, for the last record, and for every future record from here on out, because we did, we did Silence and Vengeance sl sl slightly different. We went into it really open-minded with the great producers that we had for the, both those records. And we said, how do you want to do these records? And they wanted us to be flexible, not be too committed to the music, you know, have it like 60, 70% committed, you know, so that way you'd still be malleable when we're in the studio. But we realized that all of our favorite trivium records have been done in a way that we go into it over-prepared. And that's what we did for, right. for the sin of the sentence. We were so prepared. It was ridiculous to the point where we already had every vocal part memorized. Most guitar solos were written. The music was like 99 to maybe a hundred percent there before even ever setting foot in the studio. And in that way, when we go to the studio, things can become even better from there. So right. we like to be, I'm thankful that all four of us in the band are addicted to practice yeah. and like sickly obsessed with, being overly prepared for everything we do, which is, that's just the way we have to do it to do well. Uh, props to you guys. Yeah. I was watching, Thanks. you know, um, I was watching your little kind of studio documentaries. I guess you're talking about the new record that's coming out. Mm -hmm. The sin in the sentence, October yep. 20th. There's a little plug. Um, and, and, and literally, I think it was Paulo uh, was, was talking about, um, just your practice schedule and how like, he's like, yeah, most bands just wouldn't, it wouldn't even be fun. You know, but for you guys, it's like putting in this work is fun for you guys to practice really so is. much. It really is. I love it. I love it. I always want to be prepared and ready to go and to, for there to be no question whatsoever of what anything I'm going to do or say is. Um, and I think that makes it better for the audience. And that way, I don't have to be thinking about it. I don't have to think, oh, man, do I remember this guitar part? Or what are the words that are coming up here? Or like I said, am I going to hit this note? 
it's just going to work. And I don't have to think about that. I can just enjoy the show. Okay. So I got a real question for you. What do you do yep. for fun? practice <laughs> um no for Dude, fun you are such a nerd <laughs> definitely brazilian jiu-jitsu is is my other addiction in life i'm so hooked to that it's um i've since weaned it down a little bit i was doing like six seven days a week but i, I figured for my body to be able to survive it's five days a week usually like when i'm at home uh, monday through friday two hours a day of brazilian jiu-jitsu and then i'll also supplement like three days a week with kettlebell training for like 20 minutes as well. Two days a week of Ashtanga yoga. There were like seven years where I just did yoga. Um, but since, since getting into jujitsu, it's been all about jujitsu. And, um, I've recently, for anyone that's listening that is into jujitsu, I've recently fell in love with like a lot of leg attacks because like jujitsu is joint locks and chokes. Um, so all those things are at your fingertips and there are all these different styles of jujitsu practitioners, people that like certain submissions better, certain styles of guard better. And I've really fallen in love with like the leg attacks, the leg attacks, especially these things called heel hooks, which are considered the most devastating of all the joint locks that exist. So I've really been getting into those a lot. Um, so Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I love food. I love to eat. Um, there was a while I was cooking a lot and my, I had a food blog. Oh, I've yeah. since pulled that, I pulled that back a little bit. Um, so not just eating. And then when I'm at home, it's always like my wife and I are cooking at home a lot, but it's always healthy because when I go on the road, I kind of eat whatever I want most of the time, but I keep the training up and then gaming. Um, I started Twitch streaming about four months ago. I've built up a pretty fun little following and I, I've always loved video games. And I befriended some YouTubers and some Twitch streamers in the last couple tours and they encouraged me to start that stuff myself. So I started a YouTube channel where I do like covers and some lifestyle stuff. And then my Twitch streaming is like me playing games on competitive gaming. Wow. And yeah, that. So super nerd okay, stuff. So yeah, you got lots, lots of stuff going on. That's, that's crazy. One thing yeah. about your your legacy is is it's you know it's funny when you have so many records that you can talk about like oh this like our favorite Trivium records were these ones you, you know what I mean and, and mm -hmm. I mean you've done a lot of stuff and I remember it was the record the Crusade came out and everyone was like whoa like mm -hmm. this record is different he sounds different um, walk me through that time in your life and how it was to get that reaction that was so polarizing from your fans well we had just done ascendancy and the only country that i mean it did really well in america and exceptionally well in the uk like the uk the record went gold and one of the songs was played on bbc radio one we started having a bunch of sold out tours over there and things were going great but I started looking around and started seeing that I'm not saying that by any means whatsoever did we pioneer any kind of sound, but a lot of other bands had signature, the same ingredients we had. Yeah. Guys were singing, sure. screaming, breakdowns and solos, a mixture of metal and hardcore and like other elements coming in here, melodic death metal and emo and all these things all into one band. And that's, I said, well, we have this and other people have this as well. And the sentence is doing really well. And I'd see that other people still didn't like us. Like metal fans didn't like us. And I said to myself a couple of things that I wanted to make a record to show what else our influences are, to show traditional metalheads and purists where else we come from. But I also wanted to make something that was the exact opposite of everything we've ever done and that what everyone else was doing. And I said, let's drop all the ingredients that everyone else is doing that we just did. So let's drop breakdowns. Let's drop screaming. Let's make this stuff sound more like the classic roots of where our music comes from get rid of everything from like a certain era on and go backwards. And that's what the crusade was. It was us right. making a polar opposite reaction to everything we just did. 
which could have been suicide. But luckily, it you know it it did piss off and scare a lot of fans of Ascendancy. Yes, but it also got us a whole new slew of fans we've never had before. I mean, Iron Maiden brought us out on the tour right after that record came out because they were into that record. And then other countries started getting into us. Because at that time, it was just the U.S. and the U.K. that liked right. our band. And then other European countries started following suit. And then we showed early on that we're the kind of band that at any time our record became very different. And so then next thing you know, before record eight, we have seven records that are different from each other. They are, which, yeah. Yeah, which is a good thing. And I feel like Sin, we had to make something that made everything else make sense. So I feel like the Sin in the Sentence is like a mixture of record one through eight. And there's no other record that does that. Like, you can't say, like, record four, which is kind of our most prog metal slash death metal-y record, that doesn't encompass our entire career, but Sin does. Um, so it's it's cool, and I, I like that we are that analytical. And, you know, when we were making the Sin of Sentence, we said that this has to be the best record we've ever made, or there's no point in carrying on with this band. You know, like right. We were to that level of extremity with this, and... We said, you know, if this isn't the best thing, what's the point for ourselves and our fans? And how much longer can we even survive if we make something different again? Oh, um, so I, thankfully, we made something good. I, I totally believe all the stuff you're saying, and it makes so much sense. Do you go back and listen to your old records? Like when yeah, you're kind of yeah. saying, okay, I want this new record to be like a, a, a you know, just sort of a combination of our, our all encompassing of our career. Did you have to go back and listen to records one through seven? Did you do it? Was it hard to listen to some of the stuff? Um, did it make you smile? Is there stuff that you really like that you did? Is there stuff you really don't like? I mean, for when we were making Sin, no, we didn't. We didn't look at it in a way of ever wanting to go back to anything. We just wanted to make everything tie together. So yes, we do like to listen to our stuff, and yes, we are really analytical of ourselves. Like I feel like. With the Crusade, I love some of the songs on it. There are some of the songs where I feel like we definitely reached too far into seeing what else we could do as a band, and they didn't hit the mark. And there are a couple of songs that are incomplete on that record. And I have, like, you know, when fans will ask me what my favorite records in order are, I'll always give them in my order. It's like Sin is first, and then In Waves, and then Ascendancy, then Shogun, then Ember, Silence, Vengeance, Crusade. And Vengeance and Crusade kind of flip-flop for the bottom. And right. ooh, the reasons why, I mean, we always have all these different reasons that we'll talk about ourselves or say to fans. And yeah. yeah, there are things that I look across that we could have done better, but I'll never go back and want to change them because they're, they're, they're finalized. And I think it's a good, it's necessary to have all the goods and the, band, the bads, the successes and the failures to bring you to what you are today. And when we were making Sin, what our objective was when we were writing, we said, let's write the kind of music that we feel is missing, that we would like to hear as fans of metal and heavy music and the kind of stuff that we want to hear if it was us outside of Trivium. So that's that's what the main like sonic goal first was. And then we said, we want this to make sense with everything else and how will this make sense with everything else? And then it just by default ended up having the, the ingredients of one through seven. Right. Why did you put Vengeance down so far? I mean, that's a newer record. Um, you know, like, was that just because of, was that because of that record cycle taking your voice out? Did that contribute to it? Why you, you ranked that record so low? Um, it still is. I mean, it's, to put it in the correct terminology, it's still in my top favorite eight of trivia records that exist. <laughs> um, but yeah, if I had to put it in favorites of like, just without 
thinking too much about it. That's that's kind of the order I'd go. Um, I do love the record. You know, Strife is one of the most important songs in our career because that's the song that finally opened the door up for U.S. radio for our band, which right. we've never had before that. Um, making the record was so fun with David from Disturbed. We learned a lot from him. I learned a lot about my voice. I mean, he did help me a lot for writing, helped us a lot with writing songs. Um, I, I don't know. I guess just when I compare it to the other things we've done, it kind of naturally sifts a bit lower. And I still consider it a favorite. It's something I still am very proud of. I wouldn't change. We do still play stuff off all those records. But when it comes down to Silence, Vengeance, and Crusade, we went into those records with the thought of let's find a subsection of our sound and concentrate on this just one area of our sound and let's not go beyond this. I don't know, Crusade, I said we reached, but we stayed in this one subsection of yeah. the classic influences of Trivium. Whereas with the rest, like if I look at my favorites, like In Waves, Ascendancy, and Sin, those would be my three favorite. Those three, we didn't care how far out we went and how different anything was from each other. Like In Waves will have something like a softer song like of all these yesterdays and then i'll have a song like skyline severance which has no clean singing whatsoever which is all screaming or chaos range which is like really weird time signatures and i like that we can have everything and i think that us in the band are happiest when we have that really broad scope and broad spectrum of sound within trivium and i think trivium fans like that the best when we have everything and I think, I think that, so that kind too. of shows from our yeah, it kind of shows from our catalog. I mean, one through seven is kind of everything, and then record eight has all that stuff. Cool. And I think that's what it is. And with those three records that are, that I kind of put towards the bottom, that's just one area of our sound. Right. And it'll, it'll be it'll be very interesting yeah. to hear that record. I look forward to to hearing it on October twentieth. The sin and awesome. the sentence. I like that you're already using the short form of the record, and it's not even out yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been we've been planning it for so long. I mean, so, um, the song "Wretchedness Inside" is probably the oldest song on the record, and I originally ghost wrote it for a band, um, a oh, modern weird. band. I won't say what band, but a band approached me about, about writing a song for them. So I wrote them this song called "The Wretchedness Inside." I wrote lyrics, and vocals. Actually, the original version I gave to them is on my old food blog, keepchaos.com. If you look up "Wretchedness Inside," it's up there with the lyrics. And I wrote that for them, and they never used it. And I don't know why they didn't use it. Maybe they thought it sucked. Um, so I just, I said, all right, I'll release it for free and give it to everyone. So I released it for free and we started writing record eight. Paulo said, Hey, I think Regenus is a really good song. We should rework that. And we reworked it and made it into a Trivium song. Um, so some of the stuff has been around for a while. And then he started writing some of his earliest riffs before sin in the, before silence in the snow even ever came out. And I think when he was describing why he did that, cause we we're doing an interview and they asked him when he said that. He said, because he feels like when we did Silence, we didn't let out that other part of our sound. It didn't have that extreme aggression. And whereas Silence in the Snow has some of the best melodic moments we've ever had and the most classic classic metal slash classic rock moments we've ever had, it doesn't have that fast, aggressive, screamy, breakdowny modern thing that we, I feel like Trivium needs in its sound as right. well. I feel like just as much as we need the classic elements, we need the modern elements. And that's what makes Trivium Trivium. Well, yeah. I mean, look at the first four Metallica records, okay? You mm -hmm. knew track four was going to be the slow jam. You know, <laughs> yep. you needed to have it. You needed to have some dynamics in a record. And that's just like anything, you know? that When you have some dynamics in your record, when you have a song that's a slow song, that's just going to make the heavier song heavier. It's going to make the faster Absolutely. song sound faster. And you need to have those dynamics. I think 
within a record. Absolutely, you need, you're going to need to have those elements or like you're not telling a story, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, Hurricane Irma, that was scary. Yeah, that, that sucked. That sucked. We, we had just done the European, we did like a, a four-week European tour of festivals and headlining shows. And then we had to go straight into a press tour, which press tours are no fun, but we're good at them. Um, so we did that. And then we were watching the news on Harvey. It was Harvey, right? Yeah, the one going on yep. in Houston, which was yep. freaking terrible. Um, and we started seeing that there was this big storm system brewing up by Florida. So I said to myself, I said to my, my, wife, my wife was on the press tour with us, and she did all our artwork for our newest record. Okay. And I was talking to Paulo as well, and I said, I want to prepare for this storm that's hitting Florida as if it's going to be as bad as it would just happen in Houston. So we basically got home right after the press tour. Next day, went and started stocking up on food and water. And luckily, a lot of my friends are like firefighters and first responders, so I have tons of first aid kits thanks to those guys. They always <laughs> give me first aid kits before I go on tour. Um, but then I wanted to get stuff like propane for the gas, grill. Um, I wanted to get a generator. And then the thing was declared as like a national emergency um, by Monday. And then I'd never seen, I've never seen this before, but like gas stations being out of gas and fuel canisters being out and generators being sold out everywhere and just yeah. being general pandemonium for prep. So I had to like drive to a different city to find a generator after Lowe's.com like canceled our order without telling us on our generator. And it was this massive prep. But luckily, by the end of the prep, I think we could have survived for two weeks with no power. Um, so I'm glad I could do that. I learned how to board my own windows up, which I've never done before. Uh, it was definitely the most adult I've ever felt before. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, you so you stayed through the whole thing. You didn't leave. No, Orlando was not in an evacuation zone. Okay. Um, so I de- I definitely some, some people were like, hey, why didn't you evacuate? But uh, for us, it was like, if we evacuate, we're taking away resources from a city that needed to evacuate. And so we didn't need to evacuate, thankfully being pretty inland. And uh, we just forded the house up and, and hoped for the best. And th- thankfully, there was no damage. Um, we have a giant, like, multi-hundred-year-old oak tree in front of our house that just lost a lot of its limbs. But nothing broke anything. Um, we lived off a generator for a little bit. And then we found out my wife's parents, they had power, so we went and stayed at their place. So we kind of sold out a little bit, but I was happy to oh, know no, that. that's not selling it. Come on, it's survival. <laughs> yeah, so I was happy to know that I, I prepared well, and it felt like could live through The Walking Dead. Right, um, and now you yeah, got it's, all it's, these it's boards. Are you going to build a treehouse or something? I'm, I'm keeping them in the garage for the next storm. Uh, so. yeah, and you know it's coming, man. That's the that's the horrific part. It's very yeah, sad. The, the earth is the earth is very angry at us, and it's it's letting us all yes. know that. But climate change is a myth. Right, <laughs> that's what they're saying. Obvious, obviously, by our super hurricanes <laughs> that keep coming up and hanging out in warm water next to Houston and just pummeling it for five days. No, it can't be a coincidence. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Earth is very fucking angry at us. Is, is what I just keep saying because we get we get what we put in, and I feel like we have not been treating the Earth the way it deserves. That's right. If only everybody had your regiments and your you <laughs> know, know your planning know, and your man. man very, you're an impressive guy, Matt. Thanks for taking Thanks, the time man. out of your very busy schedule. No, um, no worries. No I'm worries. trying to do the math right now. Okay, so it's three o'clock on a Tuesday. What? What are you? Yep. Are you in the middle of a vocal warm up right now? Or are you like um, watching the warm up was videos? done this? The warm up was done this morning, and I'll usually multitask too. Like I'm, I'm also doing physical therapy right now because jujitsu, you'll have old injuries kind of flare up. So I'm rehabbing my back and my shoulder right now. So on the drive up and back, I did all my warm ups. Also went to cryotherapy and chiropractic um, while doing warm-ups in between. 
So once we get off the phone, I'm going to do my second warm up and do my true singing practice, cool down, and then start Twitch streaming. Okay, cool. Well, that's awesome, man. So, um, well, before I let you go, and again, thanks for taking the time. Um, anything else you want to plug that you're that you're doing? Let the people know. I mean, I know you got a tour coming up. Yeah, for everyone that's interested in seeing us, we've got, I think, one of the coolest tour bills we've ever had, ever. It's uh, Trivium and Arch Enemy co-headlining. We're also bringing out While She Sleeps, who I think is one of the best modern metal bands. Awesome and, band. fit for an, and Fit for an Autopsy, who I listen to that band daily going to jiu-jitsu. It's some of the heaviest shit I've ever heard in my life. Um, anyone that likes video games, follow me on twitch.tv slash Kichi Chaos Reigns. That's K-I-I-C-H-I Chaos Reigns. And my YouTube, Matthew Kichi Hafey for covers like i did damn it by blink 182 except i did it <laughs> in the vein of if in flames in like the mid 90s would have wrote damn oh it my. so that's the way i did that song yeah with and if johnny Cash sang it so i did damn it like that damn <laughs> so you're you're just like it's come full circle from freshly squeezed absolutely that it's was the plan redemption that was the plan. yes it is it is <laughs> <laughs> but i'm gonna do I, i'm just gonna do a bunch of weird stuff like i've been doing like oldies like roy orbison and elvis uh did blink i really want to do I did Trivium. We did this like acoustic version of a My Chemical Romance song for their anniversary of Black Parade on Kerrang. Oh, but yeah. Kerrang never, they never released our cover. So I should do that. Yes, you um, should. Stuff like that. You know, just things that I don't normally get to do for fun. Well, I think it's great, man. And, and I think, yeah, I think, I think if my advice to you is you should do stuff like that and let loose once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that is, you know, that is my worst thing is I, I never do let loose. I need to do more of it. Like I, I think too much. Obviously. Uh, you do you, Matt. And, and um, <laughs> all the best with the new record. I can't wait to check it out and uh, have a great tour when you go and, uh, and everything else, man. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks so much. Yeah. And uh, stay in touch. Like just in general, like outside of pod- like congrats on the podcast. I can't wait to check it out. But like if you ever were in the same area or whatever, you just want to shoot the shit. Just Absolutely. Send me, a te- send me a text. If you're ever up in Toronto, let me know as well. And uh, yeah, I got your number now. So uh, awesome. Wait, is your number? Oh, I won't read it on the air. Uh, <laughs> it's the one. Uh, <laughs> it's the one I have. <laughs> it has nine two one in it, right? <laughs> I don't know four four oh seven maybe. I don't remember uh, the yes. area code actually, but um, that would just be a guess. But yes. um, yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks again, and uh, yeah, thank you very much. I'll see you around. All right, man. Take care. Yeah, cheers, bud. Later. So there it is with Matt. It just goes to show you that 99 episodes later, I can still learn things from another lead singer. And it's amazing. The, the warm-ups he does, all the stuff he does, the, the, the practice, the perfecting of the craft, you got to hand it to him. And I mean, that's got to be the reason that Trivium, here they are with their eighth album. They've had a great career and it's still going. It's still going strong. Before I play a new Trivium song, and believe me, it's a ripper, you're going to want to hear this, I want to remind you guys again, if you like the show, if you want more contact, more interaction with other fans of the show, and myself, if you want Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise, the only way to get it is to join the All Access Club. I'm not going to harp on it too long today. All I want to say is check it out, the link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash access. For as little as $6 a month, it gets you in, and we're having a blast on there, believe me. So check it out, leadsingersyndrome.com slash access. So the new Trivium record, The Sin and the Sentence, is coming out in just a few days. I was going to play the title track, but then today, they launched a brand new track called Betrayer, 
and this thing is so sick. So I'm going to play the brand new Trivium song, which literally came out today. Here it is, Betrayer on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. We'll see you next week for episode 100. Don't miss it. Subscribe. Subscribe now. Yes, you